Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, welcome to Bergen Park Church. It's good to... I say it's good to see you this morning, but see, I can't see you. I got a confession to make. You guys think I've been seeing you for so many years, and, and I can see you guys. I want you to know, up front, you're good. So I know who's sitting up front, but I, I don't know what's going on in the back, so I have to put these on. Oh my gosh. See, now I can see if you don't like what I'm saying. See, that's the problem. The reason I don't wear glasses is because, you know, that, that's just too much feedback at times. And when you're sensitive, you just can't, you can't take it. Anyways, yes, my wife made me get glasses. Yeah, my wife, she made me get glasses. You know, because they tell us you can't see. And, and here's what my, my optician, opti, op, ophthalmologist, not optician. <laughs> I probably need an optician. <laughs> my ophthalmologist said, you're not driving at night, are you? And I was like, yeah. He said, you should not be driving at night. You are blind. So anyway, I don't know why I did that. Hey, we're starting a new series this Sunday. We're going to look uh, through the book of Revelation, not the whole thing. I told somebody, I was, I'm taking the front door of Revelation, not, not like the, the, the um, living room and the kitchen in the backyard. That's too deep. I'm just going to go in the front door, and we're just going to look at the letters to the churches and we entitled this Evaluating the Church, and the idea of this is not to evaluate the building, because the church is not a building, it's not an institution, we are the church. And so my question is, Jesus, what do you care about? You know, over the last two years, before the pandemic, maybe more than that, you know, there's certain things the church cares about, and, and I just wonder how much Jesus cares about them, or maybe he cares about them, but we put them on the front burner, and they should be, like, not even on the back burner. They should be in the microwave. They should be, I don't know, someplace, I don't know how far you can go back, but there's certain things that we're passionate about as a church, and you wonder, where's Jesus' passion fall? What's he most concerned about? Because I think if we're, we're most concerned about what Jesus is concerned about, then the stuff that we really think is important is going to find its right, right kind of place in my life. Does that make sense? And so the question I just want to ask as we go through the letters to the churches that Jesus, I mean, what, what do you want us to be about? You know, there's one institution that has hurt me the most, and it's the church, there's one institution that has helped me the most, and it's the church. There's one institution that slandered me the most, it's the church. There's one institution that has built me up and lifted me up the most, it's, it's the church. I want to read this quote. One author captured the church this way. He said, when the church is functioning at its best, there is simply no community on earth that, that can rival it. But when the church is functioning at its worst, it is a community on earth that can do as much. There's no community on earth that can do as much damage. The church can cause great harm. History tells us that. Even recent history can show us the church can cause harm, but the church submitted to Jesus in reverence of Jesus under the word of Jesus empowered by the spirit of Jesus can do tremendous, tremendous good. And so we're gonna start off by looking at this, this letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, if you realize, Ephesus, you know, 70% of your New Testament is either to or from Ephesus. 70% 
of the New Testament was either written, Paul wrote a lot of his letters from Ephesus, a lot of the letters are written to Ephesus, so 70% of the New Testament when Paul came to Ephesus, this is the center of the early church. And so this is a church with massive influence, but realize, there are no churches in Ephesus today. I don't think there's really a community in Ephesus but there are no churches in Ephesus, and Ephesus is in kind of modern-day Turkey. We'll show some pictures of that as the series goes along. But this church lost something. Great influence, great impact, and yet, and yet all of that love for God was lost. I want to avoid that. So let's jump into this passage in, in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the golden, seven golden lampstands. Now church, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake. And listen, you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. At this you have, you, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, what a frightening thing when our love for you goes cold. Father, when we do things in your name without love for your name, when we associate your name with things that do not rightly associate with your character or your work in the world, Father, what a, what a frightening thing to hear from you. I will take my presence away from you. And so, Lord, in that spirit, in that warning, in that gift of grace, would you teach us? And may we, as the church, listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to your church. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you sustain? Here's the question that this letter answers. How do you sustain a heart that loves God? And with that, a heart that not only loves God, but also loves people. Because as we know, if you love God, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are connected. So if you don't love your neighbor, let me give you a little insight. You may not really love God. Because, see, the test of love for God is how do you deal with your neighbor? And your neighbor is not somebody you get along with. That's the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan. Ideologically, racially, he is opposed to you. 
He believes things, she believes things that are different from you. But there's one thing about a neighbor. A neighbor needs mercy. And often the church, what we find ourselves doing, I I find is we're kind of in the spirit of, of Matthew 23. We're so focused on tithing our spices, right? You probably do that. You're cumin, you're mint, you're dill. 10% to the Lord. Here you go, Jesus. 90% to me. But what have we forgotten? You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You've forgotten justice. You've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten faithfulness. There's nothing wrong with tithing your dill if that's what you're into. But not when the business of the church takes you away from the purpose of the church, which is loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying to this church in Ephesus, guys, you are incredible. But you miss the target. You're doing good doctrine, doing good works, cultural impact, but you don't love me. You're doing it, so they're motivated by something else, right? So if you're not motivated by the love of God as a church, then you're motivated by something. And so how do we keep our hearts pure? So what he's going to do is we're going to find in this passage, he's going to do this throughout the letters to the churches. Hey, there's something I hate about you. It's hard to hear that from God. And there's something I love about you. And we're going to see this throughout the churches. And the first thing we're going to focus on is the stuff that they were really good at. I'm popping up here. Do you hear that? I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. So watch this in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear those who are evil. You test. So people show up. You're testing all those. Hey, I, I know you got titles. I know you went to seminary. I really don't care. I'm listening to what you say. I'm testing them. And listen, you found a few that are false. So good job. He's saying, what? That's, that's good. I know you are enduring patiently, so there's suffering going on. There's persecution. You're bearing up, and you're doing it in my name. So you want to do things for my glory, and you've not grown weary. So a few things. He commends them for their perseverance. That was in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. This church, see, as John's writing this and Jesus is speaking to him, they're 40 years out from their inception. So this is a church plant that's been around for a while. They're past that first phase, that growth phase. Now they're in this kind of persecution phase where the culture around them really doesn't like what they believe in. They've gone through Nero, and now they're in Domitian. Domitian's a horrible emperor. His, his atrocities were so great, the Romans took his name out of the history books. That's how bad he was. I mean, Nero's still there, but Domitian, his name was taken out because he was so wicked and so evil. This is the environment in which the church in Ephesus is enduring. So listen, this isn't easy, Jesus. Come on, back off with, I don't, there's problems with you. Don't you know what's going on around us? Which could mean that Jesus knows what they need to endure perseverance, to endure through the hardships, but they're not listening. And so he says, listen, guys, you are pushing through. Good job. And then look at this in verse 2. He says, not only are you persevering, there is holiness. I mean, you are looking at the things that are evil and you're saying, watch out for that. Watch out for this. Guys, listen, and this stuff over here, I know it looks okay, but the trajectory of pursuing that's going to take you in the wrong direction. This is a church that valued character. 
And they pursued things in a way that allowed the community of faith around them to chase after things that were good and holy and just. And then third, so we have perseverance of your counting at home. We've got holiness. Now we've got doctrinal purity. Because he goes on and says, you tested them. People show up in your pulpit. They have great titles. They've got PhDs. They've got books. But I want to hear what they have to say. And I want to take what they have to say, and I want to compare that to the Word of God, and I want to see where it lines up. They're testing people who claim to have authority, claim to have influence. And they're saying, hey, not over my life. Not unless I test and listen. Because, see, this is something Paul warned them about back in the book of Acts in chapter 20. Paul said, listen, when I leave, there's going to be some wolves showing up in Ephesus, In chapter 20, verse 29, it says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, so from the church internally, are going to rise people who are going to speak twisted things to draw away the disciples. Therefore, verse 31, be alert. They were alert. Jesus, we got that message. This is a doctrinally pure church. Ignatius, writing as an early church father, said this about the church in Ephesus. All live in accordance with the truth. There is no heresy found among them. They do not so much as listen to anything unless he speaks truthfully about Jesus Christ. So it's not just the letter to the churches. It's, it's a couple hundred years later. They're saying, listen, you're still doing it. This was a doctrinally pure church, last fourth hard work. You showed up at the church at Ephesus, there was a small group waiting for you. There was no shortage of volunteers for the kids. Youth group, I mean, we had like, we're doubling up. You know, like we got like two disciples for one kid. I mean, seriously, they're killing it. That's what he says in verse 3. I know you're patiently enduring. I know you're bearing up for my namesake. You've not grown weary. You're not tired. You keep pressing forward. So imagine you're at this church, right? And you guys know you're killing it because people are showing up. You're killing it. Man, we got doctrinal purity in this church. We got perseverance in this church. We got hard work. We're having cultural impact in the city of Ephesus. And then your pastor gets up and says, listen, listen, guys, we got a letter from John. And John used to be a pastor. We're going to talk about that. John actually used to be a pastor at the church in Ephesus. So they got some pretty big names, starting with Paul. And then the apostle John comes along. John sent us a letter. He's got some words from Jesus about us. And you're all like, sweet. And Jesus says, Bergen Park, man, love your doctrine. Killing it. Every time somebody gets up, you're testing it with the Word of God, and and you're having calm, patient discussions, and you're engaging those things around Scripture. Good job. And even though the culture around you is pushing against you, you're not pushing back with the same kind of force. You're doing the Holy Spirit force, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're pushing it back against the culture, but not with what the culture gives you, but instead with what Jesus gives you. Good job. Hard work. Is there a servant opportunity in the church at Ephesus? No, you're killing it. You're covering it. And then you hear these words, right? Because you're like, yeah, this is a great annual meeting from Jesus. But I have this against you. Are you kidding me? Doctrinal purity? You have lost your first love. 
How would that feel? I mean, the weight, do you feel that weight? As you hear this, as you read this, as you're excited about your own church, and and you kind of want to push back on Jesus. Jesus, back off. I mean, I know you're Jesus, but we're persevering. Do you know the suffering that's going on? Do you know what this culture's throwing at us? And you want to you criticize us? Maybe he's criticizing us because it's going to help us endure. Maybe the criticism that Jesus wants to give us will allow us to do cultural engagement differently, doctrine differently. He's not saying these things are bad. He's saying the way you're doing them, it's, it's, it's not leading to life. It's not leading to life. I have this against you. Now, when you think about the church, there's a lot of um, church growth groups out there. And maybe you have your own opinions. All of us have opinions about the church. You know, what the church really needs is great leadership. And that's why we have seminaries, we've got colleges, we've got, we got all that stuff. And if we just had the right kind of doctrinally pure leaders, then the church would be okay. We'll realize what this church has had. So here's their list. Paul, founding pastor, not bad. Priscilla and Aquila, I mean, just awesome ministry partners in Christ. Then you know who came along along next was this young guy named Timothy. And while he's there, not only does he have the book to the Ephesians, he has 1 and 2 Timothy coming to his church while he is the pastor. So get that. God's sending the church personal messages. And then after Timothy, after Priscilla and Aquila, who comes next? The Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation and the Gospel of John. I mean, that's a pretty solid pastoral lineup, and yet they lost their first love. Great leadership's not enough. It's important. It's important, but it's not enough. How about miracles? Because some people say, you know, our church just needs more miracles. And, And listen, we want more of the Spirit of God in this room. We want Him touching lives, signs and wonders. We want God moving. There are no greater miracles than what happened in the city of Ephesus. You know, Paul, because he was so busy, they were taking his handkerchief and they were just placing it on people. People were getting healed. I mean, the power of God was going out into this community. Lives were being touched. Hearts were being changed. Miraculous all the way around. And yet, the miraculous was not enough to keep their heart from growing cold. That's surprising, isn't it? I mean, doctrinal purity, hey, Jason, what we need in the church is we need to know every person in the pew needs to know exactly what they believe and they need to know how to defend it. This church had the book of Ephesians. I think that's pretty good doctrine. They they had perfect doctrine in their hands and yet it, it was not enough for their love to grow cold. Other people say, you know what this church really needs? We need to start having cultural impact culture's pushing in on us. We've got to ferociously push back on that. Listen to what happened in Acts chapter 19. Look at the kind of cultural impact this church had. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. It says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them all. So the gospel's being preached. This church is doing its job. Jesus' name is going out throughout the communities, the cities, down the streets, and the boulevards. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing, divulging their practices. Could you imagine that if all of us started divulging our practices on a Sunday morning and sharing our sin and our broken? That's happening. Not only that, they start burning DVDs. You know, remember that back in the day, cassette tapes. We started burning our cassette tapes. 
how do you burn an MP4 or 3 or I don't know, sorry. That didn't help. Watch this. And a number of those, verse 19, who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together. Okay, so they're burning stuff for Jesus. And the sight of them all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's like uh, one commentator said $2 million today. So people's lives are being changed. You know what's happening? Because their lives are being changed, they're burning that, that stuff, the economy of Ephesus starts to crumble. Because see, many of these Christians were in specific guilds, like a silversmith guild or a carpentry guild, and you had to worship at the temple of Artemis, and you had to participate in, in sexual immorality, in gifts to Artemis. And so there was this, this re- reality of, of it would be so easy to compromise. And yet they said no. And what happened is, is because, because so many Christians were, were kind of giving up those practices, the community began to, to notice the economic impact. And so in chapter 19, verse 28, it says this, and when they heard this, they were enraged and started crying aloud. The city was crying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They had to start yelling over the name of Jesus to make their God greater. I mean, this is tremendous cultural impact. And yet it wasn't enough. Theological, no theological compromise, great leadership, cultural impact, it wasn't enough. And so what is Jesus' diagnosis in verse 4? He says, you have abandoned. And that word abandoned, it doesn't mean just forgotten about. It means you've intentionally pushed aside the love of God for something else. For what? What if they intentionally pushed aside the love of God? Could you imagine this? For doctrinal purity for cultural impact. I think it's the same things. He's saying these things are good, but they're not intimacy. Church, they're the fruit of intimacy. But do not mistake them for, they're important for intimacy. Doctrine is so important. You gotta know the God that you're worshiping, but you're not worshiping just the God of doctrine. You're worshiping the God of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, of the word of truth. Doctrine matters, but don't worship your doctrine. You can worship doctrine and fall out of love for God. They're called Pharisees. Church, killing it on doctrine. Go read Matthew 23. You're tithing your dill, you're tithing your cumin, but you've forgotten justice and mercy and faithfulness. You've forgotten who I am. You've abandoned your first love. Realize intimacy produces fruit. Now, we see that in marriage, right? You love your wife, you love your husband. Passion. What shows up? Babies. The fruit of intimacy sucks intimacy. Do you know what I mean? Amen? Okay. Some of you got five, some of you got ten. I only got two. So I only got two that are sucking intimacy. But what happens, you, you love each other, you're passionate for each other, and the fruit of intimacy comes into your life, and then the fruit of intimacy becomes, there's no intimacy. What is doctrine? It's the fruit of intimacy. What's cultural impact? It's the fruit of knowing Christ. What's great leadership? It's the fruit of knowing Christ. We've exchanged intimacy with God for the fruits of intimacy with God. And we're trying to sustain the fruits of intimacy without actually having intimacy. That's what the problem is. And so what does he say? Here's here's the solution. He's going to say, remember, repent, and return. Remember, 
And by remember, he's saying, remember who you are. You're mine. You belong to me. You are a child of God. Remember who you are. Watch this, verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And I think when he's talking about fallen, he's talking about your identity. You put your identity in me, now you're putting your identity in cultural impact. Politics. That's not your identity. You're mine. Politics isn't going to save you. Your doctrine isn't going to save you. I rescued you. You are my children. You belong to me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 said it this way, and Jesus raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, why, why are we with him? So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is our position of intimacy and authority with God. That's where you've fallen from. And you've fallen for the fruit of intimacy, which is good stuff, but it's not me. He goes on and he says, what you need to do is you need to remember who you are. And then second, he, you need to repent. And here's repentance. Just admit to him where you are. Admit to God where you are. My love for you, God, has grown cold. I am disappointed. I am discouraged. I'm overcome by doubts. I have drifted off into cultural relativism. You need to admit. Repentance just means, hey, can we just talk about where you are and where I am and how I want you to be where I am? It's, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Admit where you are. Where are you right now? Where are you? It's kind of like Adam. Remember that? Adam. Yeah. Where are you? Over here. He didn't say that. Right. What was he doing? God knew where he was. He's saying, Adam, Adam. Bro, where, where are you? You're not with me. Why? Where are you? And then finally return. And it's interesting because he says return to what? Return to the works. What are the works? Doctrine of purity. It's good. He's not saying any of that's bad. Great leadership. Hard work. But church, listen, listen. I want a different motivation. Engage in politics, but out of a different motivation. Not to hate the world. Engage in politics because you love Jesus. Serve the church, not because you have to, but out of love for me and what I've done for you and how I've rescued you. I want you to do the same stuff you did. What's the stuff they did at first? The stuff they're still doing. But they've forgotten why. And when they gather together, it's not about cultivating a love for God and intimacy. You know, the most important thing we can do for you on a Sunday morning is kind of stir your affections, your love, your thought, your mind, however you work, whether it's cerebrally or emotionally, stir it towards Christ. That's the most important thing a church can do is draw you in intimacy. That's why as a church, our vision is to be with Jesus. And then what's next? I want to become like him. Now, if you notice, there's some things in me that are not from Jesus. And then I want to do what he did. The most important thing we can do at Bergen Park Church, whether you're serving in our children's area, in our youth, in our small groups, whether on the worship team or gathering, helping us on Sunday mornings, help us to be with Jesus. 
When you gather in a Bible study, it's not about whoever that teacher is. It's about being with Jesus. That's the most important thing we can do as a church. Most important leadership decision an elder can make is that elder board would ensure that they're being with Jesus. That's it. Return to what you did. Remember, repent, return, do the things you did at first. Same thing my marriage counselor tells me, right? What'd your marriage counselor tell you? Have you been there yet? How did you fall in love again? Well, we used to go out on dates and we got to eat all the time and she loved antique. I hated antiquing, but got really good at antiquing. And I'm like, is this uh, something? She's like, no, that's junk. It's plastic. I thought it was enamel. I don't know. I got into it. Ten types. And what was I doing? I was falling. I, I was liking the stuff that she liked. And guess what that made her do? Like me. And then fruit came along, and I got a mortgage, and I got a church. Somehow, I don't know how it happened. And the stress of mortgage, stress of church, stress of leadership, stress of money, stress of kids, stress of politics, war in Ukraine. You know what God's saying? You gonna take her out on a date? <laughs> you gotta sail over it. You know, here's a coupon. Go out. Do the things you did at first. And set aside those things that are getting in the way and just spend some time in intimacy. And then here's what will happen. You know what? Married couples, if you spend a little time in intimacy and you come back and you deal with the kids, it's a little bit easier dealing with the kids. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And, and the, the troubles around you, I mean, they're still there, but you feel like you got somebody with you. That's community. That doesn't just mean marriage. That means our small groups. That means our church. That's what community is. You feel stronger because you have people with you and you love the same things. So he's telling us we need to do the stuff we did at first. So here, as we conclude, here's, here's the warning and the promise. We can go in two directions, okay? He can either take away his presence from us because that's what it means to take away your lampstand. Did you notice that in verse 5? It's not good. He says, remember, therefore, the heights from which you've fallen. Repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and I will remove your lampstand. Now, who is Jesus? He is the one that is with the lampstands. He's walking. His presence is with the churches. And all he's saying is, I don't want churches that don't love me because those aren't churches. I don't know if there's as much judgment here as if it's just handing you over to what you really want. You're much more passionate about politics than me. Let's just be honest right now. You're much more passionate about your doctrinal purity than about me. Let's just be honest about where we are. He's not saying anything to, to the churches to hurt the churches. He's just saying, repent. It starts by admitting where you are. You really don't love me. Because then your life wouldn't be driven by anger, resentment, bitterness, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the flesh. Now, we all have that stuff in us, right? But if you're doing it in Jesus' name and you're yelling at people in Jesus' name, that's not Jesus' name. That's a different name. What I want from you is I want that love of vintage. I've literally heard people today, pastors today, say we're past the point of love in our culture. We passed it. We don't need to be winsome anymore. We need to be argumentative. We need power. We need authority. No, we don't. I don't know if you know, it was really hard in Ephesus. It was really bad. 
What transforms the culture? It's called a cross, which means we lose. I know we don't want to hear that because that's not American exceptionalism. That's win at all costs. The church in Ephesus, they were suffering. They were struggling. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't try to influence things and we don't align with people, but we align with people because we love Jesus and we allow our character to be directed by Jesus, not by the people we align with. Does that make sense? And so he says, listen, if you do not repent, if you don't turn to me, I'm just going to acknowledge where you are. You don't love me. You're not a church. Churches are communities that love God and love their neighbors as their self. That's a church. At the simplest form. Now, there's a lot of doctrine in that, but that's the simplest form. And then second, he says, or, here's the promise. And I love this. Verse 7, all you need to do and all I need to do is to Listen. What is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? As you're listening to me, maybe you're getting angry, frustrated at this guy up front, that's okay. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? What is he saying needs to change? What is he saying about your heart for him? He who has, that was perfect. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. Now, how do you conquer? It's called faithfulness. 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 To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? If you were going to have a DTR to find the relationship, where are you? Adam, where are you? Well, Jesus, I'm doing stuff in your name. I'm fighting good fights in your name, but you're never with me. We don't talk anymore. Come back. In our culture, in Evergreen, productivity will kill intimacy with Christ. I know that's not in the business books, but it's in the Bible. We love productivity, right? Build something. Grow income. Grow businesses. We're we're good at that. We've accomplished. We've achieved. Productivity is not the most important thing God wants for you. Sometimes productivity gets in the way of intimacy with Christ. What do you need to set aside? Maybe you need to be 10% less successful. Is that okay to say? Do you know what I'm saying? Because we chase that apple. We chase that ladder. We get up there. And it's like, yeah, but you could have. You could have been just a little less successful. And you could have. And I'm not suggesting anyone did it without Jesus. I'm talking to myself up here. But do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we can chase and push so hard, but we forget what life is about. What if those things are actually pushing us away? What if, what if our life is really a lot like Ephesus? I want to show you a map of Ephesus back in Jesus' day. This is what it used to look like. No. Yes. This is Ephesus when this letter came. And you notice there's this massive harbor. Now, this was a massive trade route, and what happened is there's this river that came into the harbor. And what this river would do is, is they would, it would deposit silt and debris into the harbor. So one of the things the Ephesians had to do is they had to constantly clean the harbor. They had to allow the water of life. They had to allow water to get into the harbor. But what happened is over the years, the silt, the debris started to build up. So this is what it looks like today. 
Where's the harbor? Busyness. Disappointment. Doubt. Discouragement. Despair. Drift. What's the silt in your life that's filling up the harbor? That's giving, that's keeping the life-giving word of God, the life-giving love and power of God from flowing back, back in. And then I read this article this week. I want you to see this, this article. I thought this was fascinating. Ephesus to be reconnected to its ancient harbor with the enlargement of a massive canal. And here's what that's going to look like. How far was the harbor from its water source? It's like five miles. Listen, if people can cut five miles, God can cut through despair. Are you guys with me? That was good. I worked all week on that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. If they can cut five miles, he can cut through doubt. What are you doing with your doubts? Are you just sitting in them? Silt? Debris? Are you bringing them to the body of Christ? It's okay to have doubts. Bring them to your small group. Hey, listen, I'm discouraged, I'm discouraged about the war in Ukraine. I look at that and say, this is a mess. What in the world? Today? I mean, this stuff has gone on in Syria. It's gone on in other places, right? We kind of have a blind eye to some areas of the world, if we're being honest, but for whatever reason, this really impacts us. God, I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I'm in despair. What's going on? We need to bring that to Jesus. And if you can't do it, maybe you need a community of people around you to bring it to him. Disappointment, discouragement, hurt. You know, there's one passage I want to share with you as we close, and we're going to celebrate communion. These were the words of the first pastor of Ephesus to the third. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is writing to Timothy, and I'm sure he's enduring hardships and difficulties. And he says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Timothy, you've been called for this. You have been raised up for this. The Holy Spirit is in you in this moment. Do not despair. Instead, remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Remind yourself of what he has done. Remind yourself of how he has done it. And allow the intimacy and the love of God to move you out into the world to address the same issues that you're concerned about. But to do it differently. To do it in a way that draws you to myself instead of simply pushing you away from myself. Church, do you see that? Do you, do you think that's it's happening, isn't it? I sense it in my own heart. And the way that we get this right is we go back to the communion table. And so we're going to celebrate communion. If you didn't grab one of the elements, will you please take a moment? There's some in the back. You can go and grab the elements or you can come up front. And I don't know what, what the Lord has used, what the Spirit of God is saying to you in this moment. But what we want to do as we celebrate communion is just be honest with him.
we need to be honest. And simply share with the Lord as we receive these elements that represent the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And say, Father, this is where I am right now. He knows. He's not surprised. But you know what? Like any good father, he wants to hear from his son and his daughter, where are you? What's going on? So can we just take a few minutes before we receive the elements? Just share them what you're disappointed in. Share them where you're discouraged. Share, them, share where you're having doubts. And then remind yourself of the heights to which he has brought you. That no matter what sin and doubt and despair is in your life, you are seated right now with Christ in the heavenly realms. That means the Father is to my left. If I looked left, that's the Father because I am seated with Christ. I am in a place of intimacy and abiding and He is with me and He just wants me to acknowledge that He is there. So let's spend a few moments seeking His face. to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Father for you chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight in love in love in love you predestined us to be adopted as your children according to to your pleasure in will. You chose us for the praise of your glorious grace. Father, do not allow us to forget the heights from which you have rescued us from sin and despair into the presence of the creator of the universe. Father, forgive us for how we've taken the fruits of intimacy and we have forgotten about pursuing your heart. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Receive this together in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant the relationship that is established in my blood. Let us receive it together. 